And Alexa came out kind of right around when when Anchor was first getting built. And one of and, and a couple of things happened. One, oh, <laughs> I started to say it, and the the, the device had. Just- <laughs> Welcome to Startup Gym, a show about the hard work, coaches, and community that go into building a company. Our Startup Gym is Science Inc., an incubator and venture studio in Los Angeles. Today's episode is with Matt Hartman, partner at Betaworks Ventures. We talk about the future of some new technologies, what it's like building and investing in companies from a studio model, and some projects Betaworks is working on. Let's get into it. So I've actually recorded before with Ben Gilbert from Pioneer Square Labs. Uh, they're another startup studio up in Seattle. And I really like this concept of just kind of talking through the model and, and kind of how it differs from shop to shop in the studio space. And obviously here at Science, we're, uh, we're no strangers to the model, but you guys are kind of like the, the trailblazers in that sense at Betaworks, having spent the last decade kind of really creating what that market looks like and being leaders in in studios. I'd love to hear from you, just kind of like to start things off, what you personally enjoy about the studio model of company building. So so we have always built and invested um, as sort of two sides of the same coin. And the thing that ties those both together is the categories we focus on. So my primary focus, my background had been as a as a software developer, and then a, and, and built a, a bunch of products, um, and and my focus now is really on the investment side. So so it's uh, it's so the, the thing that attracted me is that I can sort of work on the, work in the venture business, but be surrounded by people building things, work next to developers, and learn from what they're doing. And it's, we've always viewed that as being kind of the same, the two sides of the same coin. I've also built products outside of, uh, outside of Betaworks at other startups. One was backed by Betaworks, but with, as a venture investment, another one I didn't take any capital for. And then, uh, and then I've also product managed uh, one product from within Betaworks, sort of a new, a new build. So I think it's, it's it's interesting to see the uh, the different. I agree. It's interesting to see the different models. For us, I think the time the thing that ties it all together is that focus. And so, what I like about it is the ability to get up to speed very very quickly on a category. And that comes from both the investment side, where we get to see a lot of different companies, but also from the build side, where we get to see firsthand what developers are running into. So, an example of that is. When I was really interested, and I, I continue to be in, interested in audio, but we were sort of very early on the audio, and we made a couple of investments in the category. And the Amazon Alexa. Uh, so we invested in, in Gimlet Media, and we invested in Anchor. And Alexa came out kind of right around when when Anchor was first getting built. And one of, and, and a couple of things happened. One, oh, <laughs> I started to say it, and the the, the device had. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always try to like I refer to to it as echo when I'm like yeah. in conversation. Yeah. So so we had uh, so we had so the thing that excites me is that I can understand and talk to builders and see what they're running into, but also because we had one, I had personally gone in and built an Alexa skill 
Oh, I said it again, but it didn't seem to. <laughs> um, but then also, we our head of data science made a project, did a project sort of over the weekend, and had access. We on the build side, we have access to. Uh, we built Bitly. We uh, run Dig or had run Dig, and so the, our data scientist was working on both of those products and put, used the APIs to create uh, an a, a skill that would tell you tech news. And did it? We have weekly demos, just internal, sort of what you're working on, what's what's interesting, fun hack you did over the weekend. And so he built this thing, and he realized very quickly that the u- user interface needed to totally be rethought because you couldn't have like this kind of IVR. Uh, 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 telephone menu of like here are all the options. You need to figure out how to make it conversational, make it conversational, and that's sort of. I think it takes a while to get there, to get to that point where you realize that those are the problems you're running into. So first you get excited about the Alexa, then you start developing, then you build something, then you try to get it in the wild, and so there's a lot of iterations. And what was what's fun to me about being inside of a, um, of a, of a, of BetaWorks where we're building building and investing is that we get to see those kinds of problems that developers are running into very, very quickly before there's ever a company that we're trying to, that anyone's trying to pitch anybody. We're just all trying to fool around with the technology. How is it that you get up to speed with those things? Like if you're in the middle of building and investing from within a studio and something like a voice comes up as, as a passion for you or an interest, how do you get up to speed with, with sectors like that? So there's a few different ways. The first is a lot of it is organic. We kind of, we say internally, we kind of follow the developers. So we had people come to us. We were interested in podcasts broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but first Gimlet came to us and sort of on the, on the, on the inbound side, we got, we saw that there was a, there were a few insights that people had on, on just the build side. They were, if you worked at uh, NPR, you saw that there was going to be, that, that people were, downloading these podcasts more quickly and there's something interesting happening simultaneously we'll look at uh, we'll go deep in the market just understanding the the general overall market trends so for example we'll just very quick simply in any v, any vc fund i think we'll, we'll do this we'll just dive into what are car turnover times so if we believe it's gonna if we believe audio is going to exist in the car We'll say, okay, well, what's what does that look like? And it turns out that it takes about seven years for car to, for cars to get deployed, new new technology in a car to get deployed. And so we were about halfway through that turnover. And even if you look now, we're still not predict. Uh, we're still not even. I think at fifty, maybe just over fifty percent of all cars are considered to be connected. And so we'll look at the trends on the one side, and that's kind of from the venture side. We'll look at what developers are doing from the build side, and then we have this other. Um, uh, mechanism for learning really quickly. I think it's it's maybe maybe interesting. Is we have a program that we call Camp at BetaWorks, and so we've done now uh, three of these camps. And what we do is it is structured like a uh, a, a pre seed investment or like a Y Combinator mm-hmm. kind of a structure where we don't expect the companies to be very far along other than having a product. And we do it a very very small batch. It'll be five to ten companies will come work out of BetaWorks for three months. And when we do that, the goal, the goal for us is really to focus on a specific category and bring all of the players in that category around the teams. So, for example, when we did it with uh, – the first one we did was bot camp around chatbots. We were interested in conversational software. i had been doing a lot of research. We've seen a lot of companies. We saw later stage companies pivoting towards chatbots. We saw early stage companies coming out that were just sort of very chatbot first. Um, and we thought that broad, of that broadly as conversational software. So we put together this uh, – this program where we had, we had, uh, at that time we had eight companies come in work out of the work out of our office. Um, Alexa came, Slack came, 
Facebook Messenger, um, uh, Kick was a big part of it. Anybody who had was was an ecosystem player said to us, "Look, if you bring all these companies together, we'll come to them." Mm-hmm. And so that's another way that we can learn really quickly. So since then, that it that it wasn't. Uh, so since then, we uh, have have done that in a few different categories. We did that with Voice Next. So we had, usually we'll make some investments. We've done Gimlet and uh, an Anchor, and then we did Voice Camp to get a whole bunch of early stage companies around platform partners that we had already cultivated through the relationships we were building already. And then uh, and then we'll go. Uh, we did that a, a third time with Vision Camp around computer vision, augmented reality. In that case, Snapchat and a bunch of others were really interested. That's really cool. It's amazing how much of a you know efficient process you've built around this process of, of company building. Is there a breakdown between like how much of it is build, how much of it in, is invest, and also what is for you personally? Which do you spend? Do you spend more time on one side than the other? Or is it pretty even? So everything that we uh, everything we build at BetaWorks is also an investment, mm-hmm. and so I consider all of those companies to be part of the portfolio. But I spend most of my time, in theory, one hundred percent of my time, in, on investing. And actually, when I had I had built a product uh, early on called Home Screen within BetaWorks, Home Screen was a product that let you share what was on your home screen. So you could take a screenshot, and then the software would uh, use computer vision to map what the apps were to likely to likely apps in the app store and then would label them and so we had a bunch of on the back back end we had uh training data sets and then on the front end it was a consumer app and actually we we got that to about uh 50 or sixty thousand users Uh, um and then um and then i stepped back and we brought in a team uh, I, I brought in a person who was a general manager of that. And at that point I made the decision, I'm going to focus on investment and we want to have someone who's fully dedicated to that. It actually, that, that product started to launch really well. Apple ended up pulling it from the app store, which was unfortunate. Do you have a process uh, around that too? The process of at what point you bring in someone as opposed to, you know, having your internal team building at what, do you have a process around when you bring someone in to run it that isn't part of the Betaworks team? Yeah, so it really depends on where the idea comes from. So often um, we'll bring in people who are interested in starting a company with us and we'll brainstorm the idea together. And so that person is always intending to work on that product. Other times, so that happened, by the way, with Dots, that happened with Giphy. Other times it'll be, the idea will come from someone on the core Betaworks team. So uh, whether it's Bitly or Chartbeat, which sort of came out of uh of some early products that John had worked on with the team. And in that case, we'll bring in a general manager to run the product. It also depends on what type of product it is. I think for consumer social products like Giphy, it's really important for the, for the, uh, the team to be, to go with the product. Whereas if you have, a, if you have something like, uh, like let's say uh, Bitly, that the actual core technology, once it was, once it had product market fit, really what you needed a sales team. And so the CEO of that company might not necessarily look like a product person, might look more like a sales team. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it really just depends on the kind of, kind of company people are building. But uh, back to your uh, initial question, um, it really depends on the company you're building. That said, you were asking, when do we bring someone in? So if we're going to bring someone in, we, um, we're looking for someone who usually start out as the GM and it, some people on the Betaworks team may decide to go. So they decided to go with the product. So mm-hmm. you build, Alex Chung was building 
Giphy, he wanted to be, he wanted to, to lead that product team and lead, let it, and he's now the CEO. Um, Patrick Moberg initially wanted to just run product uh, and be developed, spend the time developing games uh, at, at Dots. And so someone from the Betaworks team joined Dots to be the CEO. And, and now actually four years later, Patrick has, has, uh, has grown into the CEO role. Now that you're more so on the ventures side, I'd be curious to hear like any kind of sectors that have piqued your interest lately or just generally what you're excited about from the lens of, of, you know, investing. Sure. So there's a handful of categories we are interested in right now. There's always a handful of categories. And what we're looking at is, do we see signs that there can be venture scale businesses in those categories? So I'll give you a few. One is a category uh, that we call synthetic media. It's this intersection of um, the application of uh, generative computer models to media. So that might mean synthesizing speech. It might be synthesizing video. Um, anything where you have new, new, um, almost a new media type emerging. An example that's out there. We're not investors here, but an example that's out there that I think is interesting is. Uh, the Instagram influencer Lil Michaela, mm-hmm. and so the idea is that she is a CG, a computer generated. It's so cool, right? So that's interesting. There was recently, I think last week, there was a modeling agency called the Digitals that emerged, and they only represent digital celebrities. Wow! And I think they, I think that they had started one, that one got popular, and so now they're releasing other ones. But it's really interesting because now you can build these whole different kinds of businesses. The, the models can have any kind of skin tone. They can have any kind of bottle, body type. And they even have, I think, to sort of highlight the fact that these are really synthetic celebrities, they have one model that's an alien. And so it, you don't even have to abide by the constraints of, of the real world, which I think is, is sort of fascinating. Um, there is positive and negative uses of synthetic media, so we're mindful of that. But we think it's really an interesting category. So that's one. Another category we've been thinking a lot about, we call internally humane tech or slow tech, things that are uh, pushing back against, it, it's, it's, there's a trend right now where people are pushing back against being over-notified, where their data is being overmined, and we think there's going to be a whole new set of companies that are built that are sort of user-centric in a new way, not just user-centric like easy to use, but user-centric in that they actually are are built around and their business models are centered around practices that respect users' data, respect users' privacy. So that's the second category. Um, A third category we think about a lot is the future of work. And not necessarily software like timekeeping software, more more about the behaviors that are around that. And we're always interested in surprising new behaviors. And one of them is that people don't necessarily need to even go into the office anymore. And the idea of what, there are now companies that are, decentralized um companies that are not decentralized in the crypto sense but decentralized just they don't have a headquarters they're where employees can work wherever they want and you have to rebuild new kinds of corporate culture around that and it's a really stark contrast from the 1950s where really i think the 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 need for people to be in the same place at the same time came from assembly lines and so as we started to move that as we start to break that apart what does that mean for where and when people are working and what kinds of uh, structures will be built. I think WeWork's a really interesting example of that. Uh, and then I'll give you I'll give you one last category, which is probably the category we're most focused on in the near term, which is um, live uh, live media and live streaming. So this is anything from esports, which you were talking about. Uh, 
sitting on top of Twitch to things like HQ, which are almost whole media properties that are centered around real time and and particularly this aspect that if it's live, then it can be participatory by the audience. Now, how do you embed these relationships where people can participate back and actually impact, influence the media they're watching? Yeah, those are all super interesting. It, it is fascinating to think about the potential intersection of, the, of a few of those, right? Like the you, you mentioned Lil Michaela, and there's another influencer kind of who uh, I know Lil Michaela is friends with who's like a Twitch streamer. And yeah. it's it's fascinating to see like these different kind of like really bleeding edge tech and really new concepts kind of overlap. I think uh, we've got a, a brave new world on our hands pretty soon. Yeah. In a way we're rebuilding the world that exists inside of technology and it doesn't necessarily have to look like second life, right? It's not a literal mm-hmm. representation of us inside of technology. We started out by representing our social connections. We represent ourselves with our photos and now with, even things like Bitmoji were representing ourselves via avatars. And I think that's, that's what that means is that if we live in this digital world, what other things can live alongside of us and how are we communicating with each other? I think can be totally rethought. I know from doing a little research on some of the companies that you've been involved with recently, maybe over the last couple of years, I would say, uh, it seems like you, you really took a deep dive into voice and, you know, conversational interfaces, um, you think we could talk about that a little bit? I have, I have a couple of thoughts. Sure. So, so when we first started out, it's funny. You mentioned earlier these things all intersect. I didn't. I thought of, of conversational software and chatbots. Um, people were talking about that as one category. People were talking about voice interfaces. Alexa. Oops, I said it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully, I don't think it woke up this time. Um, voice and augmented reality as being three different things. And we really think about them, I really think about them as as building blocks to the same end goal, which is these new the new way that we interact with computers and with servers. If you think about us interacting with servers today as point and click on a desktop, point and tap on a uh, mobile device, what does computing look like in a in a kind of post home screen, post mobile device world? And it starts to I think these these the ability to speak to a server, uh, the ability to communicate with a server, not necessarily using um, our our uh, your hands, is is interesting, and I think feels like the way that things should be as soon as the technology allows us to get there. When you say post home screen world, I, I think that's a really cool way of putting it. But what kind of breakdown do you picture as being kind of like the endpoint there? Do you think that we will get to a point where it literally is post home screen, where it's like hundred percent voice, zero percent home screen, or is it like 60, 40, 50, 50? What do you think ends up being the breakdown that plays out there? I think, well, I think there's a kind of the near term and the long term. I do think as if you think super long term and augmented reality is a part of our world, I, I don't see us having computers in our pockets that we look at as being particularly useful, although maybe it would be. Um, but I think in the nearer term, when we think about seamless computing, it's it's just making using the interface that is most convenient to you at the time. I don't believe that a voice interface for me when I'm at my desk when there are ten other people around me is particularly useful. I don't think that a voice interface when I'm walking down the street and there's a lot of background noise and they can't understand me hmm. uh, is particularly useful. But uh, I do think that when I come home and I'm washing the dishes, we're starting to see some of these devices capture the use cases that do make them more useful. I now ask my devices what time it is 
because my phone's all the way, all the way over there someplace else or frankly even it's in my pocket and speaking do you know what time it is is faster than reaching in my pocket taking it out looking at it and almost knowing that i'm going to be distracted this is where it sort of intersects with that humane technology uh uh point it's like you take your phone out to look at the time and next thing you know you're you know eight instagram you know posts <laughs> deep and so i think we're it, there's a bunch of benefits to not having a home screen in front of you I don't know, you know, I think it's going to be more about the use cases. Um, and when, percentage, uh, when you talk about the percentages, I think it's probably useful to think about the percentages of time versus mm-hmm. the percentages of interactions. I think Uber is a really interesting example. I think the car sharing services, if I think they're prime targets to be able to be, be hailed by um, voice power devices or by your watch or by your, and even if you're hailing it by your phone because your phone's already out, you're using that for you know five, you know thirty seconds, maybe a minute. Right. I'm gonna say five. It's probably a little faster than that, probably a little slower than that. But when I'm at home, I already have my uh, address tied to my device, and so just saying, "Hey, will you call me a car?" is enough, right? That's all you have to say, and that's pretty low friction. Yeah, no, that's really cool to just say, "Hey, Google or Siri, I'm ready to go home and, and take you home from work," and just kind of seamlessly slip into the back. There's also, I mean, if you take that a step further, we, what we're lacking right now is a context layer. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we have. Certain, Google is probably the best candidate to have access to the context. But if if uh, if right now all Uber has access to is your um, is your interfaces, but if there was a context interface that could say, okay, I know I have access to your calendar, and I know that you are uh, going to take a, you're going to be on a podcast and that's probably going to take place at home and your last meeting is here and you book travel time with yourself potentially, right? Then if I, I schedule travel time because I'm sort of uh, very uh, religious about my calendar, but if I do that, there's no reason why it shouldn't automatically call me a car or say, you know what, it's, it turns out it was raining today. Do you want me to call you a car or do you want me to tell you when the next train's going to come so that you leave at the optimal time? So you can imagine a context layer that starts to be um, – Predictive, not necessarily automatically calling it, but mm-hmm. but anticipating your needs. Oh, I have this like I have this theory am- and this vision of this world where you know I had a long day of work and my my Uber knows exactly when to have the, the car ready for me. I walk out the door, it's there. I get home and my my Netflix or my over the top streaming services saw that I had a lot of an email today, so it's gonna start playing a comedy right when I walk through the door and like everything is just kinda like seamless. That's the vision that I, I see of the future. I think it's uh I don't how far off do you think these things are? Like what is what is your your timeline for these kind of things? I think Actually, we're. I think there's two two things that are missing. One is the context, but the other is when I have the TV example is good. Um, everybody, I think this stuff only works when it when you have high frequency and fractured uh, use cases. So if it's high frequency, but it's just ordering, I, everyone's example is always we're going to order you a car. If everyone's example is you're, you ordering you a car, then then one of the car services is going to be the one that just makes this as easy as possible. There has to be enough use cases across um, ac- across platforms that it makes sense to have, have a context layer that you feel like you're interacting with all the time. So, and to me, Google is probably the closest thing to being able to do that. But for example, like every day when you get home, how many how, how many days do you get home and you want to just turn on the turn on the TV? You might want to get home and not turn on the TV. You might want to get home and order 
food, which which maybe is maybe it's good at predicting, maybe it's not good at predicting. Maybe part of the uh, relaxation is not having it ready for you. But I think if you can pick five to ten use cases, so that every single day you interact with a new service, you interact with this service that is picking you a new thing. That's kind of why Google works. You have enough searches that you think to go to Google every single day. But that was a, that was a hard one, right? Because you have to train yourself to do that. Most of the time, it's a very very specific vertical. Um, and what's the I, I, way I kind of think about it is what's that um, trigger that's go- the external trigger that's going to remind you to use this thing. Every time I step outside, I think to myself, am I going to call a car? Am I going to open my Google Maps to figure out what, sub- what subway to take? Every time I, I think there, an early easy example is every time I looked at a, maybe for a sunset uh, or a beautiful image, you think, I'm going to, am I going to put this on Instagram? You maybe take that picture with Instagram. You maybe even take the picture with your phone, but it's even remi- it's still reminding you to use Instagram. I think the one of the breakage points right now is what is that repeat context that's going to be useful enough that two, three times a day, it's right. It's not only suggesting something for you, but it's right. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I think we could talk about this for a very long time. I want to shift gears a little bit back to this. Uh, You know, let's talk a little bit more about just kind of the Betaworks mentality uh, and your mentality of, you know, founders and and companies. I've, I've heard you say before that two of the most important characteristics of, of a entrepreneur or a business builder are dedication to the problem and resourcefulness. How do you at Betaworks or you personally best train for those characteristics, dedication and resourcefulness? So um, uh, let's talk about the venture side first and then talk about the build side. Okay. On the venture, on the investment side, I think, I used probably the word dedication to the problem. Another way I think about it is founder market fit. Hmm. Is the person who's building this, are they, what are they, what problem are they really trying to solve? Right? What's the thing that's driving them? What's the thing that keep, that it's, it's, uh, Peter Thiel, I think in the, in, in zero to one talks about like, what's the secret they don't know one else that no one else knows. But he also talks about what is the, what's the reason the 20th person is going to, going to join the company, which I think is an interesting, way to ask the question, a way to think about what's your dedication to the problem. What's the overarching drive here? It's not you get founder equity. It's it's a and it doesn't have to be a change the world problem. Like I, I want to impact all of these people. It might just be I've studied this since I was in college. I wrote my senior thesis on it. I just think it's really interesting. And here's why this is a rich problem set. Everything is a rich problem set. It's just a question of whether there's a rich problem set to you. You know, doing B two B logistics is a really rich problem set. It just not, might not be interesting to you. Mm-hmm. So you know, transportation logistics is a rich problem set for Uber. We were talking about them earlier. So, um, so is that so, just kind of like a, ma- a matter of introspection and understanding, like what the right problem sets are for for the particular entrepreneur? I think it's like it's it's about it's about interests, um, and I don't know how to. I'm trying to think of how to communicate that better. So. So uh, I am. If if so, I re- I'm very interested in how you build and get traction for early stage products, early stage companies. I will stay up. I will stay I, I, on the weekends. I'm interested in new interfaces. What's working? I'll build a Hello World blockchain app because I want to understand what the limits of Solenity are. Hmm. Um, that's uh, count on the other side. I am not someone who is 
going to be the best person to stay up and look at Excel uh, documents or Excel workbooks on on company cash flows and be able to find the key driver among all of this data. I'm 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 probably less equipped. Could I learn how to do that? Maybe. Am I interested in doing that? Yes. I'm, I'm curious of how, how that stuff works. I think it's important to understand that. But if you're a Series C investor, Series D investor, you really want to understand the innards of that business, the, the cash position, what's driving it, not just from a high theoretical level, but now from a, from a very, very uh, specific level. And I think there are other people who just love that stuff, and they're going to stay up all night figuring out that stuff. And so I think when I talk about dedication to a problem, it's it's that it's what's the what are the things that just the founder cannot help but be interested in. Sure. Okay. So then the next step of resourcefulness is that something that you can train or develop, or is that just is resourcefulness something that's intuitive? I totally think you can can learn resourcefulness. I think you can. I think uh, the first is more of an introspective problem. To your point, it's it's just what are the things that I just would just drive me. But but resourcefulness to me is what happens when you hit a roadblock. Um, I've heard, I talked to another investor who I thought had an interesting data set around um, when you look at the most recent three months of the company, what's been accomplished? What did they say they were going to accomplish and then what uh, what uh, did they accomplish? So if I meet you today and three months from now, what are the things you will run into? And when I talk about resourcefulness, it is everyone runs into problems. The question is, how do you deal with them? How do you solve them? Can you find workarounds? If you, if, if Today, you're looking for a lead engineer and three months from now, right? T- today, you, you don't have a project and, and three months from now, we, we catch up and you say, you know what? I, I didn't have a product. Since then, I've found somebody who is a developer. Not only are they a developer, but they have a bunch of – they're really interested in this problem, a bunch of experience with this, and they've already built a prototype. Or they're building a prototype. It's super early. But let me show it to you. That's progress, right? It's, it's, it's not, oh, I'm still interviewing people, right? And I think mm-hmm. – I think um, it's okay if you're not making progress on all fronts, right? Maybe you don't want to market the product yet because you want to wait until you built it. But maybe it, it, that's so. Show, so, hire, br- bringing someone on is a level of resourcefulness. That is that is a, another level of resourcefulness. If you can't find that person, maybe that person during the same three months said, "You know what? I'm also going to do. I'm also going to try to build a an email list of signups." Because you know what, I don't know how to code, but I can put together a type form and I can run Facebook ads and I can find out how much it costs to acquire a user and experiment with four ways of talking about this product. And three months later, they might say, you know what, I'm still interviewing developers, but I have a 20,000 person sign-up list because I spent a month doing A-B, doing just really uh, really basic user acquisition and then I found that, uh, that thing that I thought resonated most and I found a, a some press, a, a couple of writers to write about. It. I pitched a hundred writers, and five of them wrote about it. And now I have a, uh, I have a ten thousand person waiting list, or twenty thousand person waiting list, or five thousand waiting list. Right? Both of those things are progress. And I think what what people who are resourceful will do is they have a portfolio of things that they're working on, of ways to solve a problem, and they know that not all of them are going to work, and so they try a few different ones. And I think that's the secret. The secret is that there's no secret. You just try a bunch of stuff, and some of them, you know. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I think that the the three month approach is actually a really cool uh, and and telling answer to the question of like how do you develop resourcefulness? Because a big part of that is being able to track and measure results and understand where you are at point B from and how much you've grown since point A. I think that's really cool. So next, one thing I think that would be fun is to go through some of the companies that have either been started or invested in out of BetaWorks since you've been there. 
and go through one briefly, just what the company is and what the company does and two, why you're excited about them. Sounds great. Let's start with Breaker. So Breaker is a podcasting app that has social features built in where you can follow others, where you can not only see what your friends are listening to in a feed, but you can also be alerted if someone you follow or that you know is on a podcast episode. And it has pretty great search also for within podcasts. So it's really ultimately a way to make it easier to, to listen to podcasts and also to discover uh, new ones. The reason why I'm excited about this company when we and it was the reason why I was excited about this company when they started and continue to be is that a significant problem in the audio space, particularly around podcasts, is the discovery problem. How do you find the podcast to listen to? So the inverse of the discovery problem from a from a podcast creator's perspective is user acquisition, right? Listener acquisition. So I I believe that uh, the company that is able to help solve that is going to be a really valuable company. I think that social is a highly likely way that people are going to be able to discover these podcasts. I also think that as the discovery mechanisms and ecosystems start to get built out, podcasters may create podcasts that are designed to be discovered through those mechanisms. So as an example, one of the ways that podcasts get uh, get new listeners is by having uh, having guests on their episodes and hopefully the guests share this out. So I'm on your podcast and I will, uh, after you publish it, you'll say, Matt, I published the podcast and I'll tweet it out from the Betaworks link, uh, from the Betaworks Twitter and and uh, and hopefully you'll get some more listeners. And what what what's interesting is that if you know that a lot of people are listening on Breaker or that I have a lot of followers on Breaker, then that might influence the way you actually produce the podcast. You might try to find people who are really popular on Breaker and start to build it out so that it gets attention on that platform. And so I think uh, that's uh, that's an interesting part of what, uh, what Breaker is doing. I think a second part of this is uh, a question around are there other monetization models long term for podcasters? And I think having a dedicated podcast podcast listening app that has very uh, that has strong user affinity where they already believe that their connections is a likely way that they'll be able to uh, be able to have conversations with the podcasters themselves so a breaker on breaker you can listen to the podcast uh, but also you can comment with other people and kind of create a community around that and by doing that they're bringing the creators into the conversation with the listeners and that might open up and unlock other monetization paths. Awesome. That's super cool. So next, let's go with Vero Media. So Vero is a way for software developers to build augmented reality experiences and ultimately long-term virtual reality experiences. Uh, I'm excited about it for a few reasons. First of all, the team is excellent. They sold their last company to Amazon, and the same team is together building this company. Second reason is that at Betaworks, we are really excited about augmented reality in the near term, particularly inside of mobile, and think that there is an even bigger opportunity over the long term as other devices come online. Molly. So Molly is a conversational social network. The reason I'm excited about Molly is that they are treating conversational software as as a new interface. And so what that means is that the way that they're building their social product is conversation first. So just like you would have a web-first social app like Facebook, you get a mobile-first social, social app like Instagram. 
they believe you can have a conversational first, a conversation first social app. And what that means is they create not a profile, but a conversational profile. They'll actually mine all of the things that you've uh, posted publicly, interviews that you've done, and then take that and turn those into questions and answers. And people can then ask you questions and it creates a virtual version of you that people can interact with. And so we're, I should I should just end there. It creates a virtual virtual it creates a virtual version of you that others can interact with through conversation. Cool. Unsplash. Unsplash is a tool for designers. It's the most popular website for designers to find royalty-free, high-quality images. The reason we're excited about Unsplash is a couple uh, there are a couple of reasons we're excited about Unsplash. First, it is just the growth has been unbelievable in terms of whether people, in terms of people uh, just discovering the site, and they have very high brand affinity among designers. The second is that they've developed a community, so it's not just a website to upload uh, photos to, but they have users who started out with no budget and were able to get images from Unsplash, and now are taking photos and putting them back into the community because they feel like they've gotten so much value out of that. Cool. And then uh, the last one on, on my short list here, I, obviously, if, if we could, we could we could go through the whole list and that'd be awesome. That'd be a lot of fun. But for the sake of time, uh, let's let's round it out with Giphy. So Giphy is a search engine for animated GIFs. This was a Betaworks build. So unlike the other companies we talked about, we didn't get pitched Betaworks. We didn't get pitched Giphy as a fund investment. It was built out of Betaworks. So Alex Chung had actually built three other products launched them, tried them out. They kind of went up and then kind of came down and Giphy went up and kept going. I'm excited about Giphy for two reasons. One is on the consumer side, the way that people communicate is actually more complex and uh, it takes a long time to communicate with words mm -hmm. and often it is a more efficient way to communicate. It's also interesting because it's very aligned with what potential advertisers could do. If there is a movie that's coming out and there's a funny clip from it, that's actually really good to put on Giphy because people are looking, consumers are looking, users are looking for this new content, for new funny things, new ways to be funny. And they don't, they're, they're kind of indifferent to whether that's coming from something that's totally uh, artistic driven or something that is driven by a, a commercial and or what actually functions as a commercial or has a commercial use. And so it's actually, uh, very aligned, and so I like that. It's the Giphy does well when they surface really exciting content, and does well both for users and long term for potential advertisers. Cool, that was awesome. Uh, again, wish we could keep going, but I'll be sure to link to you know the BetaWorks portfolio and the show notes so people can go and, and explore all the other awesome companies that uh, you all have been a part of and, and have built. Uh, so, last question. Yep. I know you are. Your team is working on a cool new project called BetaWorks Studios. Could you yes. just kind of give the the rundown of what that is, and just kind of you know, floor is open to you if you want to just kind of pitch that and explain what that is and how people who are interested could get involved. Sure. So what we try to do at BetaWorks is bring together the community of people building the categories that we talked about today. Right. For the last ten years, the way that we've done that is by co-founding companies with people. By investing in their company. So the only way to work out of Betaworks' office is by co-founding a company with us. And if you're, you know, you can come by and, and hang out if we've if we've seen invest in your company, but even then you're usually getting your own office. 
the what we do at Betaworks every day is try to learn more about these categories. So we'll have uh, lunch and learns. We'll have we have a think session every Wednesday. We do internal demos to learn together. So what we've decided to do with Betaworks Studios is really an experiment on opening up our community to people who maybe don't want to sell us equity, who might not be a fit for the fund, who may not be raising venture capital. Maybe they're just a person who works at a company, but they're really interested in the category. And they're uh, developing a Alexa skill, but they're doing it at a, big, at a big company. So what we've done is we've opened it up and made it much simpler for uh, if you come by Betaworks today, we still don't have we don't have uh, desks, so it's not like a rented desk model. It's really a place to come hang out uh, and mm-hmm. to meet other people who are like minded in terms of the kinds of things they're interested in. And so today, instead of instead of requiring that people co-found a company with us, we've opened up a membership model, and it's a very straightforward just pay for membership. Um, you do there is an application process, and so we want to make sure that the people who are joining Betaworks Studios are builders. They can be builders within a company. They can be individual people who are building just side projects, but they have to be building things and really interested in, in these kinds of ca- building. They have to be building things or interested in the kinds of categories that we focus on. Awesome. And that's in New York. And that's in New York. So if you're interested in joining, you can go to betaworks.com slash studios and uh, apply. I would love to, uh, love to meet you. Amazing. I will include that link in the show notes. Matt, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.